You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Well, when I ran into it, it was about seven years after 
college, and we ran into each other in a coffee shop, and he told me that he wasn't a Christian anymore. I was like, all right, tell me more about that. And as we talked, he said this thing. He said, um, you know, I always liked Paul, the Apostle Paul. Like, his arguments were so tight. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I was like, well, I just told him I've been reading the Gospels a lot lately, just trying to understand Jesus as a person and relate to him as a person. And Jeff said, huh, I never really thought of it like that. And then he said, I guess I just married a set of ideas and beliefs and not a person. That was an odd way to say it, but he couldn't have been more on the mind. He didn't know it at the time, but I think Jeff confused Christian activities and even Christian beliefs and Christian community, which are all good things, but he confused that with genuine Christianity. And I think that happens a lot more than we realize. And so how do you know that you've got the real thing? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He makes the truth of the gospel real to our hearts. Christian life is life in the Spirit. And that means two things that we're going to look at today. First, it means that the Christian life is supernatural. It requires God. And second, though, this supernatural life is normal. It's for everyone who believes in Jesus. Let's look at the first thing together. Life in the Spirit is supernatural life. In other words, it's not something that you can attain or do on your own. You can say things that Christians say. You can do things that Christians do. You can dress up your life in all manner of religious activity and language, but that's not in and of itself Christianity. That's just a Christian costume. Real Christianity is supernatural. It's not something you can do. It's something that God does to you, for you, in you, through you. Paul makes this abundantly clear in this text by contrasting the flesh and the spirit. I want you to open up to Romans 8. It's on the, if you don't have a Bible, there's little black pew Bibles in front of you. It's on page 887 in those Bibles. But I'm going to kind of run through this whole text looking at this contrast. It would be great if you could see it. Paul's contrasting the flesh and the spirit. For instance, in verse 4, he contrasts those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. In verse 8, he contrasts those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. He wants us to see the difference between natural and supernatural life. The flesh is the natural person who exists in the realm of fallen humanity. The language in Romans 5 is, is that by nature we're all in Adam. So to walk in the flesh essentially just means to live according to your natural abilities and desires. They might be evil desires, they might be good desires. Might be too much desire for a good thing. Life in the flesh might seem good. Might be everything you ever wanted, but it's spiritually dead. Spirit, in this contrast, is the Holy Spirit. Paul refers to him as, in this text as the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ. And so what we're talking about here is the personal presence and power of God with us and in us. So to walk in the Spirit means to live according to the Spirit's desires 
their goals. And in contrast, life in the Spirit might actually be very difficult, but it is alive to God. Let's look briefly just at how Paul develops this contrast. In verse 2, he says that the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. And so the contrast says that in the flesh we're enslaved, but the Spirit sets us free. In verse 3 and 4, he says the law was weakened by the flesh, meaning in the flesh we can't obey the law. But in verse 4, he says the law is fulfilled in us who walk according to the Spirit. Verse 5, he said, the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life, peace. Verse 7, he says, the flesh is hostile to God, it doesn't and can't submit to God's law, it cannot please God. And by contrast, by implication, I think he's saying, the spirit can do all of that, all the things that the flesh can do. In verse 10, he says, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11, he says, the body is mortal, but the spirit will give life to our mortal bodies. We're going to come back to some of this, don't worry about it. I just want you to see that there's, there's nothing about life and the spirit that can be experienced in the flesh. It's supernatural life. That's why Christianity isn't just something you can add to your life. You must die to your old life and be born again to new life in the Spirit. In John 3, Jesus calls it being born of the Spirit. It's supernatural life. I want you to notice in these first few verses in Romans 8, verses 1 through 3, how God is the one who is making it all happen. Verse 1. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the verse we all know in Romans 8. It's, it's probably everyone's favorite verse in Romans 8. And there's a good reason for that. We've been trudging through Romans 7, just the struggle. And this is, this is a victory shout that the struggle is over. Or at least it's come. You know, some people, when they get to the top of the mountain, they, they let out the barbaric y'all. Because right, they conquered the mountain. That's what Romans 8 1 is. Paul is shouting, proclaiming the good news that God in Christ has conquered Satan, sin, and death. Yes! <laughs> That's what he's saying. If you don't feel that when you read Romans 8 1, I don't think you have the real thing. No condemnation means no charges can be brought against you. It means that though you were once sold into sin, you are now free. There, there's no reason anymore to labor under the burden of the law because you are free now. You stand in the wide open spaces of grace. Some of you hear that good news, and God bless you, you just, you just believe it. It's like, yeah, you said it, I believe it. Some of you need more information. Some of you are like, well, why is this true? And how does it work? I understand people like that, married to a person like that. Needs more information. Paul gives it to us. Verse 2. For 
This is, this is why there's no clarification. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So remember last week in Romans 7, Paul talks about the law of sin that resides in his body and wages war against his mind. In his mind, he says, in my mind, I delight in the law of God. That's, I know what's good and I want to do that. But in my body, these sinful desires and these sinful habits have formed over a long time. And regardless of what I want to do, they pull me into the very things that I don't want to do. That's why in Romans 7, Paul refers to his body as the body of death. It's inclined towards sin, and sin bears fruit for death. But here we learn that there's another law at work. A more powerful law, the law of the Spirit of life. So sin dwells in me, but when the Holy Spirit takes residence up in my life, He's just stronger. He's better. He breaks the hold of sin and releases me, frees me from its tyranny and its control. That's what God did. He set us free. How did He do it? Look at verse 3. For, another explanation word for, God has done. Make no mistake about it. Everything we're talking about is something God has done. What did He do? He's done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Remember, the law tells us what God wants, but it doesn't give us any resources to do it. In fact, the law only provokes my flesh to sin more. And so under the law, I stand condemned. The law can't do anything about my sin, but God can and did. What did He do? He sent His Son. Look what Paul says about this. God sent His Son. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Which is to say, He, he became one of us. He, he put full participation in the human experience. He was exposed to all of the elements and all of the temptations that we are. Yet, Hebrews says, without sin. So Jesus came in the flesh. Next He says He came for sin. So without sin, but for sin. That word is an allusion to the sacrifices in the temple. Every year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus offered himself as the once-for-all sacrifice for sins. He was condemned in our place so that now... For all who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Another way of saying that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ is to say that God is pleased with you. Some of you just got a little uncomfortable. It makes some of us uncomfortable. Because I think we're not used to thinking about ourselves in Christ. We're thinking about ourselves in the flesh. But in Christ, whatever is true for him is true for us. So think about the scene where Jesus is baptized and the Father speaks from the heavens. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Paul says we've been baptized with 
in death like his, and we'll be raised in a resurrection like his. If you're in Christ, then God speaks over you. You are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, with whom I am well pleased. That kind of statement uh, has caused a lot of problems throughout church history. A lot of schisms over ideas like this. Causes tension in our church, too. Because I think some people feel like, well, look, if this is true, that God is pleased with us, then why do we even talk about sin, especially as much as we do? It just seems so negative, like it gets us off track. Uh, in our gospel communities this fall, we looked at something called the cross chart. The cross chart says that to grow in a Christian faith, we need two things primarily. We need an increased awareness of who God is, and we need an increasing awareness of our own sinfulness. And no doubt, in your GC, someone thought, this seems unhealthy, this deep dive into sin. And I, in one way, I agree with you. If that's all we do is dive into our sin, that's unhealthy. But the point of the cross chart is that the greater awareness we have of God's holiness and the greater awareness we have of our sinfulness, the greater awareness we have of our need for Jesus and the greater affection and appreciation we have for Him. We don't talk about sin to condemn each other or to condemn ourselves. We talk about sin so that we can experience new depths of grace through repentance and faith. Listen, there's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is not from God. It's from Satan. He's called the accuser. Satan says, look what you've done. And God says, no, no, look what I've done. Conviction is a ministry of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit exposes in us, reveals to us all that's in our life that's not pleasing to God, and then He helps us turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, and then He enables us to walk in God's ways. That is life in the Spirit. Our, our liberation from sin and death, our love for others, our work, our repentance and faith, it's all the work of God. It's supernatural life. And Paul wants to know that this is the normal life for every Christian. Let's talk about that for a Life in the Spirit is the normal life for every Christian. This might still be on, I don't know. When I was a kid, there was a show called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It was a chance for all of us, just losers, to see how real people live. And, and you just see their houses and their vacations and all the stuff, and you just think, that looks awesome. But only like a few people really live that way. And I think sometimes when you hear about life in the Spirit, or when you read a passage like Romans 8, you think, oh, that, looks, that looks awesome, but only a few people really live that way, right? This is not a description of the super spiritual. What Paul is telling us here is true and available for everyone who believes in Jesus. Look at verse 9. After Paul describes life in the flesh, he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, because the Spirit dwells in you. Who's he talking to? 
every Christian reading this letter then and now. Life of the Spirit is just normal Christian life. And the first thing that means is that God is pleased with us. Here's the second thing it means. It means we can please God. Some of you had a hard time believing the first thing. Some of you had a hard time believing this thing. What does it mean that we can please God? Well, look at verse 4 again. Verse 3, he told us what God did. He condemned sin in the flesh. In verse 4, he tells us the result of that. God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is a pretty loaded verse. We talk a lot about this. Here's, here, I think, is a very helpful, somewhat simple way to think about it. What's the fulfillment of the law? Well, in Romans 13, Paul says the law is fulfilled in love. In Galatians 5, he says the whole law can be summed up in one word. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so all that the law commands and all that the law is pointing us to is fulfilled in sincere, genuine, selfless love for others. Now, Jesus fulfilled the law in that sense by loving us like that. He laid down his life for us. He also told his disciples, hey, I've got a command for you. Love one another as I have loved you. The difference between Jesus and the law is the law couldn't help us do it, but Jesus does help us do that. He sends his spirit to reside within us, and the spirit gives us the capacity for this kind of genuine, selfless love. We can actually obey this command because we walk in the spirit. Now, I'm not saying that we love perfectly, but I am saying we now have the capacity to love genuinely. In other words, my love for others is not me trying to justify myself and feel better about myself. It's actually love for the sake of Christ and for the good of others. That really happens. Not perfectly, but it happens. And as that happens, it points to this reality that someday my love will be perfected in Christ. That's what the Spirit's doing. Is. Under law, we try to love but we think it was always just self-referential and self-protecting. But under grace, the Spirit enables us to love our own, to obey the law in ways that we never could on our own. The Holy Spirit not only sets us free from sin, but He sets us free to live new way of seeing the world. That's what life in the Spirit feels like. It feels like you've been awakened to see the world in a whole new way. Now look at verse 5 through 8. I think that's what he's saying here. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not submit to God's law, and indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So this idea of a mindset, 
Paul's language means something like your outlook. Just the way that you see the world, the way that you see yourself, the way you see God, the way you see others. It's your disposition, your thoughts and feelings as you look out into the world. And what Paul is saying is that the Holy Spirit changes our outlook. Changes the way that we see things. We used to think that what we see is all there is, but the Spirit gives us eyes to see that there's more than meets the eye. The reality of the kingdom of God becomes real to us. That's what motivates prayer and patience and courage and hope, because we see a world of new possibility in the Spirit. Tim Chester says it like this. I like this little grid. He says, we see that God is great, and so we don't have to be in control. We see that God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. We see that God is good, and so we don't have to look elsewhere. We see that God is gracious, and so we don't have to prove ourselves. The mind set on the Spirit sees the kingdom of God and wants to live in the kingdom of God, and it can. We can please God by the power of the Spirit. Last summer, I wanted to study the book of Proverbs with guys in our church who were like 30-ish and under. One of the reasons I wanted to do that is because the last time I checked, that age group, and that demographic, men 18 to 35 is the least church group of people in America. And I was like, oh, let's get some open in the room and see what they're made of. And listen, that's pretty encouraging. I, I did not know this until I put the list together, but there are at least a hundred of those guys in this congregation. A hundred of the least church demographic in America are here with us. That's pretty cool. And 30 or so of them actually got up early in the summer mornings and studied Proverbs. So last Friday, I it was two days ago, I emailed them and just said, hey, tell me what changed when you became a Christian. And just like within minutes or hours, a bunch of them emailed me back. And I just want to read you some of their responses. This is what the Spirit does. This is how He changes us. Here's what they said. When I started to follow Christ, I realized how different it was than my old life. The world says to conquer, climb, shore up wealth, look after yourself. Christ says to live in community, care for others, and count nothing as your own. That's a different way of seeing things. Before, when something bad happened, I thought that the universe was against me. But Jesus gives me hope. Because I belong to a good and just God who knows what is best for me, I see negative events in a whole new light now. I stopped judging people and started to genuinely care to know who they were. Work previously consumed all my thought and energy and shaped how I approached people in my life. As I grew in faith, it felt more okay to lose at work and let go of outcomes. I experienced what felt like true rest for the first time. I view life as a series of goals to achieve and things to accomplish with a little side of Jesus to make me feel good. But God helped me understand that Jesus has already accomplished the ultimate goal and that my purpose is faithfulness to Him, regardless of how successful that looks in the world's eyes. 
I was focused on doing what was best for myself and how I could optimize my own pleasure and circumstances. After becoming a Christian, I became aware of God's servant nature as seen in Jesus and began to view my life as an opportunity to love and serve others. I viewed my worth completely as a sum of my actions, good and bad. I would overemphasize my professional success and stew on the mistakes of my past sin, constantly surfing the instability of highs and lows. Now, I am much more at peace with the assurance that I am saved. At an immense amount of insecurity and fear, my personality wasn't even the same as I couldn't be myself around people because I feared what others thought of me. I had to give that all up to follow Christ. I don't know what people think of me now. I don't know what will happen to my financial or physical security, but that's all right. Christ has conquered death. These church demographic in America is experiencing the power of the Spirit to radically change how they see the world. Praise God. The Christian life is super heavy. And it's for everyone, even these days. Have you experienced change like that? Because you can. Let's close by the leading verse 9 again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, not belong to. So again, the Christian life is not about being in the know, it's about being in the spirit. It's not about having the approval of others, it's certainly not about having your stuff together, it's about having the spirit. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now that, that verse is not sentencing you, it's inviting you to come to Jesus and be belong to him. To all who have the Spirit, Ray Orland says this verse means you're no longer limited to yourself, but you're lifted up to and surrounded by God's holy, non-condemning presence. I like listening to Ray Orland because I hardly ever think of myself in the terms that he thinks of himself. And it's because he's older and more mature and wiser. We're so aware of our flesh that we forget that we're in the Spirit. And Paul speaks this encouraging word in verse 10 to that reality. He says, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And some days, even your mortal bodies will be alive to God. Verse 11, the spirit who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We have freedom from our past sins. There's, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God's pleased with you. And right now, we have power to live for God. We can please God without the And we have nothing but hope for the future because the Spirit of God will bring us up to eternal life. Man, if you're here today and you want more, like more than religious activity and more than spiritual platitudes, more than all this world can even offer, 
we're in the right place. Because there is more. Christian life is life and the Spirit, and it's for anyone who believes in Jesus. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.